Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. to E-Ticket to Broadway, where Broadway meets Main Street. <laughs> Here's your host, my pal, David Alpert. <laughs> Thank you for choosing to listen to E-Ticket to Broadway, the only podcast in which your favorite Broadway stars go into excruciating detail over which Disney princess they most relate to. This episode marks the 21st interview with members of the incredible Broadway community. Each episode is unique and special, and I hope you have a chance to listen to all of them. I'm all about pushing that special brand of Disney magic into the world right now and always. In addition to the podcast, please check out the eTicket Instagram page at eTicket to Broadway. There, you can see photos of our guests at the parks and interact with the page, playing trivia and submitting questions for future guests, and connecting with your fellow Disney and Broadway fans. I'd love to have your support on Patreon not just to help yours truly create more episodes for you, but also to support Gilana's Fund, an organization created in memory of my sister, which gives grants to organizations nationwide that promote inclusion, justice, and acceptance. Part of all the money raised on Patreon goes directly to this special fund. And now for the main event. On this episode, I have the honor of chatting with a true Disney legend. She appeared on Broadway in Smile, where she sang the iconic song Disneyland, and also starred in Crazy For You, for which she received a Tony Award nomination for her work. But perhaps she is best known for sharing her voice and heart with a red-headed Disney character. And no, I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about Ariel the Little Mermaid. Here she is, the one and only Jody Benson. This is a dream coming true. What an absolute gift. Welcome to E-Ticket to Broadway, Disney legend, Jody Benson. Jody, thank you for your time and your heart for being with me on this episode. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to be here with you. I wish I could be right in the same room with you, but this is, this is great. This is fantastic and I'm thrilled. Thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm just so glad that you have your voice. I was so worried recording a podcast. I was worried that, you know you might have met a certain sea witch and it wouldn't have gone well. So, <laughs> No, we made a deal a long time ago. I got my voice back. So you did, we're good. You did. We're good. 
Jody, we have so much ground to cover, but before we talk about Ariel and Crazy for You and, and Howard Ashman, I want to ask about your experience with Disney as a kid. So did you watch the Disney movies when you were growing up? Yes. I'm a big Cinderella girl. That was my movie and uh, really, really connected to that character. Just absolutely loved that film, loved the music, loved the magic, loved everything about it. Um, I was also a really big fan of the magical, wonderful world of Disney on Sunday night. And that was so incredible, you know, just really looking forward to that every week. Um, I was able to go to the park and to Walt Disney World. I went with my mom and my aunt and my two cousins and we drove down in a four passenger car. And I, my seat was the hump on the floorboard in the back seat, no seat belts, yep. you know, we're talking the seventies and um, smokers, you know, both of them smoked in the car. So the whole drive down and just unbelievable to walk into main street and the magic Kingdom. I was like, what is going on? This is amazing. Amazing. And we had one day, we could we 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 had the money to be able to do one day and one magical day it was oh my gosh life changing life changing really did you get to meet cinderella i did not i saw the characters we because we only had one day there was not really the time to wait in the lines to meet the characters or get the autograph book, which was a little bit disappointing, but yep. I did get to see a lot of the characters from a distance so and she did come up on the stage for um, a show of some sort. So I remember being able to kind of catch that glimpse of her. But it was magical. It was so magical. And I, I just couldn't believe a place like this existed. <laughs> I <laughs> sometimes still can't. Small it's, town it in is. Illinois. Yes, it was just like, is this real? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Well, and Jody, this is a perfect segue because I love the song Disneyland, which you originated in the musical Smile, of course, by Marvin Hamlish and Howard Ashman. And so many of us can relate to those lyrics. And I want to share some of those lyrics and by all means interrupt me once I get going because you know them way better than me. Um, <laughs> but this lyric specifically, I will live in Disneyland, make my home in Disneyland. Maybe it's all fake. That's a chance I'll take. It's perfectly okay. Someone give me Disneyland take me there to Disneyland. And when I get to Disneyland, I'll stay. Right. I mean, those lyrics. Yeah. Howard just, oh my gosh, that, that story of that song. And of course I could really relate to that song watching the wonderful world of Disney on a television set in, in black and white, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm that old. Um, so <laughs> I, I could relate to Doria a lot coming from a smaller town and dreaming of things outside of the box, dreaming of things bigger than, than where I, I currently was. And, and like many children, I had, um, I had challenges, you know, I had, I had rough times at home as many have. And uh, so I could relate to Doria. That song is, is quite a message and his lyrics how he would repeat them, you know, I, I was powerful. Not going to just say it once when she says, you know, I'll turn around and tell you, I don't care. I don't care. That, that's the reality of like, 
you can tell me what you want to tell me and make me believe something, but I'm going to jump this line of reality and I am going to keep this magic going. That's how I feel when I walk into the park. You know, I grab my daughter's hand and we start skipping. I wear my aerial t-shirts. I wear ears. I eat churros. I just let it go. I mean, you know, like Elsa, I just let it go. I don't really think about, I'm an adult right now. I have to behave a certain way. People are looking at me. What do you think they're thinking of me? When the kids were little and I'd start dancing when music comes on or there's a character and you have a dance party, I'd, I'd jump in and they'd be like, mom, that's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. But now at 19 and 21, they jump in. They get it. They get it. They like life is life is precious. Life is too short to not jump in and just let this magic kind of wash all over you. So I feel with the song Disneyland, um, you know, I mean, look, look at how we've come full circle. When I look back at my life at this mosaic of for me as a person of faith, how God planted me in this story, in this journey. And here I am, you know, from this small town in Illinois, and I'm, I'm, I'm singing this song, Disneyland, and the show tragically closes, and Howard invites Disney to come and see the show, and then they, they feel badly for me, I think, and, and <laughs> Howard invites all of us to audition for The Little Mermaid, and then, you know, the opening night party of Smile, close your eyes, Jody, and out comes Mickey Mouse handing me the keys to the kingdom. I'm an, named an honorary citizen of Disneyland that you're going to live there. That's like my home address now. And, you, it, and I've, I look back and I put all these pieces together and I just go, oh my gosh, here I am singing Disneyland. Here I am becoming a Disney cast member. Here I am now. It, it's ingrained in my life. You know, I've been part of the Disney family for 34, 35 years. And I still just look back and grateful and thankful are, are my words. That, that's, that's just my life. You know, I'm thankful. So thankful. So many of our listeners are sometimes made fun of for loving Disney and the Disney parks. What would you say to them when they, uh, when they say those lyrics from Disneyland? It, sure, it's fake, but I don't care. I don't what care. What would you say? I, 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 <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm sure people make fun of me when I go to Disneyland and Disney World and I wear my Ariel t-shirts. Yeah. But where yeah. else can I wear them? <laughs> the I grocery store. store. I can't, I can't <laughs> wear them in my small hometown in Georgia. I can't wear them on the airplane. You know, I, and sometimes I go, sometimes the kids will be like, why don't you wear your aerial t-shirts anywhere else? And I'm like, I guess, I guess I'm thinking about the image it creates, or maybe people think I'm pompous, or maybe I'm trying to self-promote or, so I have that freedom at the parks to be able to just be me and not have to really worry or care about what anybody thinks. So, you know, for us grown-up Disney fans, the heck with it. We got yeah. to do what, what we feel is right. And listen, when you can find joy and laughter in every single day, that is the key of life. Boy, that is it. I mean, my, my, my 
daily goal is to be light and salt, to love others well, to encourage and build others up, and to grab on to every ounce of joy and laughter that today has to offer, you know? And um, that's, that's what I want to do. So to the fans, when we're made fun of, we can just laugh. We can just yeah. say, yep, that's me. I'm a Disney person. It's in my blood. Yeah. What can I say? Come and look at my ear. As I'm sitting in my closet, I'm looking at all of my Ariel t-shirts, all of them right there. And they make me so happy because every one of them brings me a fabulous memory of where I was in the park and where I took a picture and where I wore my ears that matched the shirt. And I don't know, it makes me really happy. I love when people always ask me, you're going to Disneyland again? It's like, yeah, I'm going yeah. there again. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm a professor in New York City. I'm a director. But if I wear a Mickey Mouse shirt, it makes me feel good. But people yeah. smile when they see me, which makes me feel happy. Right. It's a win-win. It is a win-win. There, there's nothing... There's not a downside to it. Right. <laughs> when I wear my t-shirts, they make me happy. <laughs> so Smile was on Broadway in 1986, years before Little Mermaid was released in 89. Do you remember the first time you sang Disneyland after recording Ariel? Hmm. That is a good question that I probably don't have the greatest of memory about. Um. I did not sing Disneyland very often after Smile. Um, it was a bittersweet for, for both Howard and Marvin. And so there were very few times that I sang it, I think out of respect of it being um, kind of a happy sad. But there was a, a special... I don't think it was a D23. I want to say it might have been a Legacy Awards dinner at Disney World. This would be years and years ago. This would be, you know, probably shortly after Mermaid came out. So probably the early 90s. And the producer and the director asked if I would sing Disneyland. I was a tiny bit hesitant about it. And the director was really sweet because he was like, you know, this is part of your story. This is part of your journey. And it was very emotional for me to get through it, um, and it's a very cathartic song. And, and like I said, I, I make a definite connection with the song as, as my childhood as well. And it was. It was, really, it was really magical to get to sing that in front of Disney cast members and fans and their appreciation, you know, of both Howard and Marvin. And uh, it, was, it was very, very sweet. It was very sweet. And then I, I think once I took that leap, I felt more comfortable. It, but there was something about sharing the song that was incredibly private that I wasn't willing to share publicly with people. I, I, it's kind of hard to describe, but, you know, when you have something that's so so poignant and so, so special to you, you keep it intimate and kind of private and opening up and sharing that song publicly was not something I was quite ready to do, I think. Um, but it being such an important part of my story, I, I could look at it through a different set of lenses and share the song as a gift, as opposed to 
opening up an emotional bag, I think, <laughs> if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Jody, this is how much of a Disneyland nerd I am. As I was listening to you sing Disneyland on the, on the original cast recording where you sound flawless, by the way, as the recording started, all I could hear was Fantasmic. And it's because it's the same note as that opening of Fantasmic. It's a G in a oh, C major key geez. with a slight wavering tone. And oh, I don't know, geez. I don't know if Bruce Healy was inspired by Disneyland, but I, I just, I, it's not a coincidence oh, in my mind. It, wow. We should ask him that. That's a great question. I'll have to ask Bruce that. Oh my gosh, please I do. I, I will. I've never made that correlation and I love Fantasmic. I see it every time we go. Um, yeah. So I'm going to. You know what? I'm going to pop him an email and I'm going to ask oh him. Oh my gosh. You're going to have to let me know so I can share because I will. It's really, it starts with that kind of wavering G note. Mm -hmm. And it's like, as I was listening, I was like, did I play Fantasmic by accident? And then yeah. I heard your voice and I was like, oh, um, I love that you love Fantasmic. Would you ever consider stepping in or, or potentially swimming in for Ariel one night oh, in the. <laughs> Yes. Um, do you need to ask? Um, I would. I would love to do the opening choreography of Mickey. I mean, I've got that memorized. With I've got that choreography down pat. We do yeah. it. We watch it. <laughs> I'm gonna send you a video of of me doing it on Tom Sawyer Island in Disneyland, oh, and just people do. staring at me as I'm just committing 100. percent Just commit. You know, you must commit to it. That's the thing, and we do it when we. We, we sit in the last row because we do it, and that way our arms won't get in somebody's way. <laughs> so consider it. Let's talk Little Mermaid. Do you remember the first time you heard Part of Your World? Yes. I was in our little 15 by 14 square apartment where my husband and I lived that we bought when we got married in 84. And I had a cassette player. I had a Walkman. I, I was very fancy. I had a nice Walkman. And I had a cassette of Howard singing Part of Your World with Alan at the piano. And it was pure heaven. And I just was a smart girl that when I got into the studio and I didn't know what the heck I was doing behind a microphone besides hitting it with my hands because I'm Italian. Oh, and the engineer would be like, Jody, you have to stop hitting the microphone. You need to put your hands to the side. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm so sorry. Um, making a fool of myself. But having Howard standing at my left and Ron and John, our directors, were gracious and, and stepped aside and said, hey, Howard, she's yours. You just worked with her on a show for, you know, three and a half years or however long from our, our original auditions for Smile into our uh, dog and pony show that we would do to to raise money to our backers auditions to our workshop to our out-of-town tryout to our broadway you know years had gone by so they're like you got this one you know she's yours and boy was i was i grateful to have howard at my at my side and um that was the smartest thing i could do was to imitate and copy him um, he was so gracious because he'd never want to give me a line reading because that he found that to be insulting to as a director. And I'd beg him, you know, after 30 takes, I'd beg him, please, please, Howard, just give me the line reading. Just give it me the line reading. No, no, honey, you got this. You got this. I said, no, I don't got this. I don't got this. Tell me what to do. And um, so finally we kind of got into that rhythm because he knew Ariel. I mean, 
Ariel is Howard, and he knew her. He knew everything she thought, and I know how she felt, and how he wanted her to come to life. He had it all figured out. So I just jumped in for the ride with him, and uh, grateful I did. Do you remember any of the lyrics that might have been cut or edited that didn't make it into that no, final version? There, there, there really aren't a lot of changes. There were a few little rhyming terms here and there, just a few, a handful, maybe like, I want to say two or three tiny phrases. Um, but no, I mean, it is a perfect monologue that was put to pitch that we call a song, but it's really a monologue. And that was his focus because I had just come from doing a Broadway show at the Lafontaine and, you know, with however many seats we had and projecting and diction and, you know, forget that you have a mic, you got to sing it, sing it out. And uh, then to get behind a microphone and <laughs> have him tell me, stop singing, don't sing, don't sing, don't sing perfectly, don't hit every note perfectly, I want you to speak it. And then sometimes there's a pitch and sometimes it's not on a pitch. And you'll, you'll hear that if you dissect it, which I, I did not want to do. And uh, I would record and I'd leave and they'd say, do you want to come in the booth? I'd be like, nope, I don't want to listen back because you've got Howard. I'm a perfectionist. Howard's a perfectionist, but he's a thousand times more of a perfectionist than I was. So I learned how to trust him after a smile that I, I didn't need to be in there and listen and follow through and nitpick. And so when they, I think it's pretty much a full pass with maybe a couple lines punched in. And the first time I heard Part of Your World was on the lot at a final screening. And Howard came up to me and he said, you're not going to like it. You're not going <laughs> to like Part of Your World. And I was like, why? He goes, because it's not perfect, but it's perfect for Ariel. And I was like, if you like it, I'm going to love it, but he's right. It's, it's not perfect, but it is perfect for Ariel as far as telling the story. And at that point of that, I want song, you have got to fall in love with her and you've got to root for her till the whole end of the picture. Those are Howard's words. And he was right. And he knew it, you know, even though they were going to cut the dang song, I would just right. <laughs> heartbreaking. I don't know what the heck I'd be doing for the last 34 years, but um, <laughs> I don't know what I'd be doing <laughs> without that song. Jody, did you have a sense when you were in the booth that you were following in the footsteps of Eileen Woods, the voice of Cinderella? Did you have that moment of you are becoming a Disney princess? No, I never did. I, I was completely oblivious to what was going on at the studio. I had no idea the, the amount of transition and, and, disruption that was going on. For me, it was, this is a job. And I was doing eight shows a week with a Broadway show. Actually, Sam and I were working together on Cy Coleman's last Broadway show, which was a flop, unfortunately. But um, so we were traveling back and forth between New York and LA. Having an animation job back then was not a good job. It's what you did when you were on the outs of going downward spiral of your career. And um, you weren't on camera, you know, so it wasn't a good job. So I didn't get a lot of positive feedback when I'd mention it. So I stopped talking about it and I didn't tell anybody about it. And uh, 
until a, you know right before when the screenings and the and and before press they're like we're going to send you out on press tour you're going to hit 22 cities in 20 days and um i'm like why i mean i didn't think you were going to make the relationship you're just going to run the credits at the end no one would ever know unless you stopped your vhs who was who um because that was the disney way you know and so that's what i just assumed no one would ever know you know, I'm just going to do this job and go back. So I didn't have any of that concept in my mind of becoming a Disney princess or becoming part of the Disney family or the second golden age of animation, the Renaissance, changing the studio. None of that. None of it. It was a wonderful job. I was going to do it and then go back to eight shows a week and no one would ever know. And now you led the way for Paige O'Hara, Susan Egan, Adina Menzel and Ikanoni Rose, these wonderful, powerful women that give voice to these powerful women. It's right. beautiful. It's really yeah, great. It's, it's unbelievable, you know, now with the passage of time, you have this gift of being able to look back to go, oh my gosh, I'm on my fourth generation of Disney mermaid fans now. I've got great grandparents that are meeting me and sharing their journey and their story with the character or with the film. And it's a huge, huge honor. And it's, it, it, I take it very seriously, the way that I need to represent the company and the film and the character, because this is a piece of personal history with each person that I meet. They have a very strong personal connection with Ariel what the film means, who they were with, where they were, what they wore the first time they saw it, their pajamas, their sheets, their grandma, their grandpa. And it's a privilege and very sacred almost when I get to have a glimpse and pull the curtain back and I realize, oh my goodness, I am a very small piece of the mosaic of their life. And, and it's more than just another animated film. It's about relationship for these people. It's about a moment in time that's forever embedded, whether it's really joyful or whether it's difficult and challenging. You know, it's a gamut of emotions when I meet people because I want to hear their story if they're willing to share it. I, I, I want to hear these stories. So if you can imagine me cataloging this information over the last 34 years, it's like I have a treasure full of moments that- a grotto, is, if you will. Is, yeah, a grotto. I, I do, and a privilege, a personal privilege that they chose to let me in on their moment of what this film means to them or what this character means to them. I would love to add and share with you that, you know, it was either 19, 1990 or 1991 for my birthday party, a, a kid in my class got me a Hot Wheels car and my mom was very kind and she took me to Meyer. I'm from Michigan. We're both Midwestern, Midwesterners. And my mom allowed me to exchange this Hot Wheels car, which they thought all the boys would want for the Little Mermaid cassette tape. And it was everything I wanted. And I listened to it all the time. And you were there, your voice was there for me when I was a young boy who didn't want to play with cars, but wanted to hear about, you know, a magical mermaid who dreams of a bigger life. It was really special. 
beautiful story, David. I really appreciate you sharing that with me. Of course. That, that's, a, that's exactly what I feel, you know, so, I, I don't know, I guess people think maybe it's cheesy or, I don't know, you know, when, when people ask me about my job, I try to describe to them, it's not a job. It, it's just this really sacred privilege that I get to be part of someone's journey of their life. And uh, it's, it's really amazing. So I appreciate you sharing your story. Oh, silly. We'll be right back. Oh, what's the big idea with these commercials? Oh, with this Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. Introducing Osea's bestseller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil and Body Butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat yourself to glowing, healthy skin this summer with clean, vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, you can get the Best Sellers Body Care Set valued at $78 for 33% off. Use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. So, Jody, I have to ask you, this is, you know, I'm a director. I love dramaturgy. Quick question for you. In the scene with Ursula, Ariel has to sign her name on the contract, right? We see her sign it. It's a, she's got beautiful handwriting. Soon thereafter, she's out with Eric on land, and he wants to know her name, but she doesn't have a voice. Couldn't she have just found a pen and paper and written it down? <laughs> or was it like special under the sea ink? I, I have these questions. We have these questions. Yes. <laughs> yes. She probably could have taken her finger and written it on the sand. <laughs> yes. Come on, girl. <laughs> but then the story would be over. The end. Blackout curtain. Boom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. End. <laughs> <laughs> but don't we have those moments in every film and every oh, TV always. show that you watch that you're shouting at it? You could have just done Let's Just write it yeah. down. <laughs> just <laughs> Yes, you could have signed it for crying out loud. <laughs> Jody, have you met Ariel in the Disney parks? Do you really need to ask me that question? Yeah, right. Well, I think the real question is when you're talking to Ariel, do you ever find that that Ariel is trying very hard to mimic how you sound? <laughs> well, I can tell you over the course of 34 years, I have 
visited with Ariel hundreds and hundreds of times. And I love it. And I go to her grotto at Walt Disney World every single visit that I that I can, uh, that time permits. And um, I, <laughs> my kids and I, we kind of, we kind of lovingly grade them, shall we say, grade them, but not like in a harsher, like mean way, but just more of like entertaining because sometimes some of them are really, I don't know what part of the world they're in, but it's definitely <laughs> not Ariel's part of your world um, where they, <laughs> they, they have a full fledged conversation with us in like um, kind of like a mermaid language of some sort that I'm like, what is going on? You're like, okay, like, hello, like bubbles. Everybody's like, Rachel. And, you know, the kids will be like, why is she yeah, talking no. like that, mom? And we'll just kind of go, okay. But normally, normally what happens um, is because I'm, you know, with my, with my VIP guide and I'm working. Okay. So they pretty much know ahead of time when I'm coming. For the most part, okay? So normally what happens is we immediately come in, we give a big hug, and then they whisper in my ear, and we make a connection. You know, it's, and, and we can do that when, when it's a whisper and no one knows. So we make that connection, and then we have a conversation about dingle hoppers, and they'll talk to the kids about, you know, have you seen Eric, and, and that. But we'll make that instant real-life connection where the whisper in the ear is, oh, my gosh, I love you so much. And I'm like, I love you too. And then, and then we pull away from the hug and then Ariel needs to, you know, kick in 100%. But there are a few, a few Ariels that we're not quite sure what, what, where they are and what's happening with them with the bubbles. And, and we've, we've gotten a few of them back again a couple more times. And the kids will walk in and the kids will go to me, it's bubbles, mom. It's bubbles. Oh, no. <laughs> So then we know, we know, okay, well, let's just jump in. Let's just jump into her world. So Delaney will or McKinley will, they'll be like, yes, bubbles. And I've got my clamshells with me. And we like talk really high and have fun and stuff. But yeah. I always want to whisper to Ariel when I see her in the parks and say like, Ariel, you're never going to guess, but I've seen your movie and it's all going to come out well for you. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, really? And I was like, I know you're a mermaid now, but like, guess what? I know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. But like I say, when they do, um, and I know there's protocol and characters and all of that. But for the most part, I'd say like 90% of the time when I walk in the grotto, we, we make an instant human real life connection quietly and and you know so that they don't get in trouble from their handlers because they'll get in trouble right. if they if they don't do what they're supposed to do and then the word gets back so then i usually go up to the handler and say anything that happens in the grotto stays in the grotto don't tell anybody what we've been doing here in the grotto i don't want to get her in trouble that's very kind <laughs> Jody, in the beautiful 
Howard documentary, you shared that you loved a chorus line in Little Shop. Little Shop is my favorite musical. It's my college thesis project to direct. I fell in love with it. I, I think Little Shop is a perfect musical. But there are such strong similarities between Audrey's Somewhere That's Green and Ariel's Part of Your World. Yeah. It sounds, there's some similar sounds. They share their dream. They both end with them physically reaching in the distance for the dream. They're mm -hmm. perfect. What would Jody's I Want song be about? <laughs> Ooh, no one's ever asked me that before. Well, I guess growing up in Rockford, Illinois, without having seen a Broadway show, without having been to a Broadway show or even to a professional show at all, coming from a family where, you know, musical theater wasn't really known or mentioned, probably my I Want song at age eight would have been, I really want to see what is out there for someone like me that doesn't quite fit in with singing and dancing and acting and how to make sense of all of that, um, going on a path that doesn't make sense and is not stable and is not in the box, so to speak, coming from uh, a, a, a town where that just wasn't really out there. And so I guess my I want song at that age would be, I'd like to see what's outside of this that's around me. And I did. I mean, it's crazy to think that I went to college um, with what I, what I had available to me. My parents were divorced, so I, I financially had to stay in state and, and get scholarship and things like that. And go to college for a year in musical theater in the very first year that they established a BFA program at Millican University. And then during Christmas break to audition for a non-equity tour and get a call. And at the end of February, the beginning of March, our leading lady broke her ankle. Can you be here in two weeks? Take my finals, finish my show that, that time and leave school early, never to return. But 10 years later, during Crazy For You, I... I go to college virtually <laughs> and I walk and graduate during my one week vacation of crazy for you in my second year of being in the show. You know, talk about an I want song of, of looking for something that is unobtainable. But there was something inside of me that just felt like I've got nothing to lose by at least trying you know, I mean, it's not like I was confident. I don't think I was confident. I didn't know if I was even any good. I just knew that I had this thing and I wanted to give it a try and I'm just going to go for it and we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know. I don't know what was inside of me that made me try something so risky and scary and I, I have no idea you know it's just it's, you said this earlier as a person of faith, yeah I was gonna say faith I guess it must have just been a God thing it's kind of like just you've got nothing to lose just just go for it and you can always be an attorney you know because that was kind of my <laughs> plan was to to go into pre-law and um I or a dental hygienist. I think that was my other fallback plan. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? When you look back at that.
you brought it up, but I love Crazy for You. I remember I, I saw it on PBS, the great performances, which you weren't, that was a paper mill, you know, it, it was a different cast, yeah. but I remember I bought the CD and I was playing it. And I was like, this isn't right. And it was the London production. So I went back to Tower Records and I got the Broadway version and there's a clip of you on the Tonys and you are beaming. It is, it's beautiful. <laughs> what was it like to go back to Broadway after doing Little Mermaid? You know, it, it was, again, with, with Mermaid kind of taking us all by surprise, I didn't have any expectations of, of the film or of what was going to happen. And I really knew that, that Mermaid wouldn't necessarily be part of the equation for any future work per se, especially when it came to theatrical productions. But what it did do is it allowed me to connect with the audience in an extra special way and especially with children. So when they'd come to the stage door after, it sort of just gave me this open door policy with the children to be like, oh, that's Ariel. You know, we instantly have this connection and then they can layer on top of that, having just seen, you know, crazy for you. So I think, I think for me, it was just extra special to be able to um, have that special relationship with the kids. I mean, that was literally my next question because when I did If Then with Adina, it was just after Frozen had opened. So we had a lot of Elsas and Annas at the stage door. And my, you know, I was going to say like, were there aerials and scuttles? at the stage yeah. door of Gracie for you? <laughs> there would be. There would be aerials. They'd bring their dolls to get signed oh, um, or their mementos or their special books and things. And, and of course, you know, taking the pictures and stuff were, were so special. It was just neat to kind of add both of those elements and mix them all up together, I think. And yeah. very rewarding because they're very different. You know, animation and, and theater are, are very different different ways of expression, but both rewarding in their own right. Right. And I ask on behalf of everyone listening, what do we have to do to get you back on Broadway? <laughs> Please. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, it's, it's a crazy thing because when I, when we left New York um, from crazy for you, I, I, when I finished my last production and the last performance and that whole experience from start to finish of crazy for you was sheer joy, sheer happiness and magic. Every single experience with that from day one to my last day was a dream come true for me. And at that time we knew, well, actually my husband and I had been hired, which is why I had left the show, but we had been hired to do an international tour of my one and only another Gershwin musical. And I knew that before starting to have a family, I wanted to have one more opportunity to play opposite my husband. So we did for six months in Austria and Switzerland and Germany. And it was just, again, a magical tour before starting a family. And um, so when we moved to LA and I was full-time with Disney at the time and made that transition, there was that thought like, I may not be back. And if I am, that's awesome. But if I'm not, what more of a magical journey could I go out on than with Crazy for You? Yeah. 
Who could there's, ask for anything more? Exactly. <laughs> and there's that part of me that doesn't want to change anything about the memory of that show. And there's a small part of me that would be concerned if I went back to Broadway, it would somehow tarnish or change the way I left New York. I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe that's, oh, it does. Maybe oh, that's it does. silly. I don't know. Maybe that's silly or maybe that's fearful. It's not fearful. It's more of like this really precious, holy experience that I want to protect and keep forever in my memory, I think. And I love going to New York and I love seeing shows. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Love everything about it. But I don't have that thing of like, oh, I wish it were me up there. I want to do, oh, I want to do that. You know what I mean? Does yeah. that make sense? So it's sort of like what I've experienced in my life was incredibly fulfilling and absolutely perfect. Now, all that to say, if the phone were to ring and say, hey, what about this? What about that? Would I say no? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, we'd look it over as a family or look it over at where our life is. You know, I've homeschooled my kids for 14 years cumulatively. So I, 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 I couldn't and I didn't want to leave. I mean, we, we traveled together as a family. Disney was perfect for those 14 years from pre-K through 12 for both of my kids. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And I could never have done that with eight shows a week. But now that they're both young adults and they're starting their lives and their journeys, um, if it were to happen now, maybe, maybe it would be the right time. I don't know. So I'm not saying no. I'm just saying I just have this precious keepsake that I, I always want to treasure with Crazy For You. Well, my friends, this concludes the first part of this two-part episode. I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. In part two, Jody joins in on the e-ticket fun, playing Fast Pass Answers, Tweedledee or Tweedledum, answers questions from the fans, and plays everyone's favorite game. What's that word again? We'll see you on the next episode. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.